I want you to open your Bibles to the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Now let me catch you up with where we are. Two weeks ago when I preached, I told you that we had one other message, and then I got home that Sunday and read the Scripture again, and the Lord just shifted gears and said, no, you're going to go back to Gethsemane. So we're going to go back to the setting that we covered two weeks ago, and then hopefully... Well, I say prayerfully, next Sunday will be our last message in this series of lessons from the Holy Land. We're in the upper room in chapter 26 of Matthew. Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. Jesus and the disciples partake of that. Judas Iscariot gets up and leaves the room because before the Lord's Supper is actually partaken of, before the sop is passed, because of the fact that he has been exposed as the betrayer. When that was done, after he leaves, then the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper, not just the Passover meal. They sing a song and they cross the Kidron Brook and they ascend the Mount of Olives to a garden in a grove of olive trees called Gethsemane, or actually pronounced Getshemi, and that is, that word means literally olive press. And the symbolic thought of that is that the sins of the world, of all mankind, past, present, and future, were pressed and placed upon Jesus. He, he, he comes into the garden and leaves his disciples here, the larger group, takes three deeper in, Peter, James, and John, and said, would you pray with me an hour? Well, they didn't. He comes back and he encourages them once again, please pray with me, and, and yet they could not. They were too weak in the flesh. The third time he comes and just basically says, okay, sleep on. So, so, so here it is, these men are unable to pray with him for an hour. Prior to this, by the way, it's interesting, I don't want to skip over that, Jesus has a conversation about his death. And all these things are leading up to his death. Peter steps in and rebukes him and says, nah, that's not going to happen on my watch. You're not, going to, you're, 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 not going to, you're not going to die here, and uh, I'm not going to allow that to happen. And um, Peter, verse, look in verse 33 of chapter 26, Peter answered and said unto him, Thou, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Well, Jesus then warns him and says, Look, before the, before the cock crows three times, you're going to, uh, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so there's a confidence in Peter in his own flesh and his own determinations that's not very healthy. So we left off, remember we talked about how much Jesus paid for our sins and our salvation and how that prayer connects us with God. We talked about the desire to pray, the discipline to pray, and the determination in prayer. Right? We talked about those things. We closed out by saying, that a prayerless church is a powerless church. And remember this, Jesus, Jesus said, my house shall be called not a house of wealth, not a house of talent. Jesus said, I want my house to primarily, though there are other, there are other characteristics, primarily I want my house to be identified as a house of prayer. And so may God give us the desire to be a praying church. But it doesn't end there. So let's pick back up here in verse number 47 with where we left off last week. 
Matthew 26, 47, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, holding him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Let me stop and say, I heard an old preacher many years ago when I was just a young man preach a message called Kissing the Door of Heaven and Falling into Hell. And that's exactly what that scene portrays. Jesus is the door. And Judas kissed Jesus Christ and soon he would be in hell. Verse 50, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now, there are two things we know by John's account of this, and that is the one that was with Jesus that drew the sword was Peter, and that the name of the servant was Malchus. Okay, verse 52. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword unto his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be? In that same hour Jesus said to the multitudes, As ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me, I sat daily with you in teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Open our hearts. Give us the things that we have need of, dear God. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. And so after the time of prayer, when the disciples could not discipline themselves to pray with the Lord Jesus, after that time is over, then Peter, the betrayer, enters into the garden and brings men with him. They carry swords to take away the Prince of Peace. They carry torches to take away the light of the world. And from that point, things go rapidly downhill, so much so that in a surge of panic that rushes through those disciples, Peter decides to react, and, and, and Peter was always impulsive. Peter was always reactionary. Peter was always voicing his opinion when the best thing he could have done at that moment was zip his lip. But Peter's not good at zipping the lip. He just opens his mouth and lets it fly. If it, if it, if it comes in the chamber, he fires it. And so here's Peter now, this urge, this panic, this adrenaline rushes through his body. And so, knowing not what else to do, Peter draws his sword and takes a swing. Now, the reality is this, if we'll be honest with ourselves, we cheer Peter. I do. I like it. Now, can I say this? That some of us here, by nature, are more apt to be a swordsman than a bystander. There may be people that are a little more reserved and maybe, maybe a little more introverted, some more out, uh, extroverted, some more outward. Some people in this room are, are more, 
they have a tendency to draw the sword faster and quicker than others do. But I think, regardless, we either look at Peter and say, yep, that's what I would have done, or we stand in the shadows quietly and saying, I'm glad somebody did that, you know. And we look at this as a great act of loyalty, and I'm not saying that there's no loyalty involved in that. I'm just simply saying, if you'll watch the response of Jesus, Peter should have never drawn the sword. I don't know how you can get around that. Because everything that leaves the mouth of the Savior to Peter is actually a rebuke. We feel good about what Peter did, but, but what did Jesus do amidst all of the tension that, that was crackling in that garden that night? Amidst all of the raw emotion, Jesus then, after Peter swings, after he cuts the ear off of Malchus, Jesus steps in, replaced the ear, and brings healing to where there was once pain. Now this is what I want us to take time, and this is what the Lord brought me to two Sundays ago in my study on Sunday afternoon as I began to reflect on what I was going to preach on the next week, and I had something in a totally you know, other direction. We'll deal with that next week. But what does that indicate? That's, what, that's, what, that's where we're going to look at. What does that indicate about us? When we draw the sword, when we're there in a difficult time, and things are edgy, and adrenaline is flowing, and the atmosphere is, atmosphere is thick, and, and we don't know what to do, and, 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 and we feel the rush of danger, and the rush of emotion, and the rush of drama. What does it say about us, you and me, when we draw the sword and take a swing? First of all, it says this, we're placing our purpose before the Lord's. We're placing our purpose before the Lord's purpose. Now it's interesting to note, we read that, but it's interesting to note that just prior to this scene, when things get really thick, just prior to that, as, as, as they were beginning their journey toward these closing scenes of the earthly ministry of Christ prior to Calvary, it's interesting to, to, to see that Peter actually rebuked the Lord and, and told him that nothing of the sort would happen on his watch. He, he says, look, look with me again in verse 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall offend thee, everybody else may leave you, but watch this, I will, what's the next word? What? Never? Be careful using the word never. Okay? I used to tell my kids, don't use the word hate. I hate that word. Anyhow, so... The, the reality here is, you know, never, you should never use the word never, okay? And so here's Peter, he says, look, not, look, look, everybody else, I can see it, but not me, Lord, not me. You can count on me, I'll be there. But Jesus said, and then he said, verse 35, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And wait a minute, likewise said all his disciples. So what we do is we get the feeling like, Peter, you got a big mouth. You know, what, you know what happened? When the disciples heard Peter really piping off, well, what were they going to do? Say, well, I'm not sure. No, no, they had to jump in too. So Peter's braggadocious spirit impacted and drew other guys into his circle. And so there's a prior conflict between Jesus and Peter. 
And the other disciples were emboldened by his tough talk, and so they said likewise. Now listen to me. You can't escape this, and you'll see it later in, in the other Gospels. Listen, you can't escape this. Peter thought he had a better plan. Peter felt like his purpose was, was more important than the Lord's purpose. Okay? Jesus had been telling them all along what was going to happen, but, 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 but Peter just thought, no, no, my, my, I've got a better way. And I want to tell you that sometimes in your life and in my life, God's plan may not be to our liking, and so we argue with the Lord. We think, foolishly, that we know how to handle the situation better than He does. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had something happen in your life and you think, I didn't really plan on this. In fact, I've got a, I've got a better plan, God, and I'm going to implement my plan if you'll allow me to do that, and we just barge ahead. And we might not be quite as brazen as Peter. We might not audibly rebuke and openly disagree with the Lord. Listen carefully. But when we draw the sword, we are confessing that we know what's best, no matter how respectfully we do it. When we draw the sword, we're saying, my purpose is more important than his purpose. And if I have to take it over by force, I've got a sword, I'll do it. A sword isn't something that, you know, this, we, we, look, this isn't the three musketeers, zip, 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 or Zorro. You know, where you pop a button off a guy and he says, whoa, you know, that's not what happens here. That's not what this, these swords, no, no, this is like the old Claymore sword, basically, the Roman sword. He was going for a head. And so when we draw a sword, we're, 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 what we're planning on doing is we're planning on putting an end to whatever it is that's going on and inserting our purpose and our plan and our will on the situation. Number two, when we draw the sword, we inadvertently injure innocent people. Now, it's not like Peter had a lot of history with those guys in the garden, okay? It's not like he knew them by name. In fact, the reality of the matter is, John chapter 18, verse 10 says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. Now let me tell you something about Malchus. Malchus was a common slave. He had no authority. He didn't call his meeting. Probably didn't want to be a part of this meeting. But, 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 but Malchus, Malchus was a common slave. You know what common slaves did? Exactly what they were told. Nothing more, nothing less. He could be horsewhipped if they wanted to. I mean, he had no choice in this matter whatsoever. Probably, probably Malchus was carrying the lantern. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't a man of military might. He's just a servant. He's just a slave. He shows up because he was told to show up. He comes into the garden, probably carrying a lantern, and so he's the most visible of all of them in that darkened hillside on, on, on Olivet. And Peter, in a fit of rage, uh, uh, and, and, and gripped by his take-charge attitude, grabs his sword and takes a swing. Now, I can imagine, if you'll allow me to put a little color to this, I can imagine Judas ducking, okay? Everybody hates Judas, okay? The people that are with him don't respect him. The disciples are looking at him saying, you got to be kidding me. You led them here knowing this is where 
we, we often came for prayer. I mean, they, they, this wasn't the first time they prayed there. Jesus prayed there often. And, 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 and they're looking at Judas like, you betrayer. So I would have no doubt that Peter would take a swing at Judas's head, hoping to sever it from his body. I can imagine the Roman soldiers stepping back, moving backwards, Judas ducking, but there's Malchus right in the middle of the whole action, and, and the sword glances off his head and, and, and takes off his ear. Can you imagine what happens in the garden when that took place? That, that, that intense, deafening silence, the gapping mouths and the widened eyes after that emotional explosion that was so much like Peter, and they're thinking, okay, what just happened? What just happened? Peter just did what? And he's standing there quivering, and everybody's just that moment of what do we do? And there, there stands the slave clutching the side of his head with blood seeping between his fingers. And can you imagine when he looks down at the ground, and there lies his ear? Can you imagine his... his um, Maybe his cry of horror and feeling the gaping wound on the side of his head. And Jesus answered, verse 20, chapter 22, verse 51 of Luke in Luke's account. Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. Suffer ye thus far. It's Luke chapter 20. 2 and verse 51, if you want to write that down. Here's what Jesus said when that happened. Suffer ye thus far, and he touched his ear and healed him. You know what suffer ye thus far means? Leave it alone. Leave it, leave it alone. He's looking at Peter. Why? No. He reaches down and picks up the ear, puts it on the side of the slave's head, and the ear grows back instantaneously and miraculously. And Jesus says to Peter, leave this alone. This isn't up to you. Here's Peter. I'm going to kill Judas. I can't believe, I can't believe you did this. And he pulls his sword. He pulls his sword and takes a swing. And an innocent man now suddenly is wounded and injured by Peter's action. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. Anytime, listen to me, anytime, listen to me, anytime Jesus has to undo something that we have done, we need to step back and take a long look at where we went wrong. Jesus didn't say, dude, Peter, thank you for your loyalty. He didn't say, Peter, you were a sergeant, you're, you're a lieutenant. I'm promoting you in my disciples. Amazing, amazing act of loyalty. Jesus put the ear on the head and said, stop. Leave it alone. Later he's going to say, put your sword up and leave your sword put up. Okay. So, so we've been there probably. Things don't go as we planned and we're in a situation that's coming apart at the seams and so rather rather than uh following what the lord does we draw our sword and some innocent person 
gets hurt. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, He that is so slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Proverbs 29, verse 20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than him. Well, that's pretty strong. You know what that means? Look, see that? If you can't keep that in the sheaf, you're going to hurt people. If, if you can't keep that sheathed up, you're going to injure innocent people. And while, while, you, while you're doing your, your worst, while you're, while you're, you know, bless God, preacher, let me tell you something about me. I, I, I speak my mind. Well, you, look, listen, that's nothing to brag on. Somebody said, well, I'll, I'll give them a piece of my mind. You, ain't, you, look, you don't have a lot left. Hang on to what you got. And so um, so, somebody gets hurt, and, and the Bible doesn't brag on that. It, it's anytime we draw the sword and take matters in our own hands, somebody who isn't responsible for the situation is going to be hurt, and Jesus has to clean up our mess. Don't do it. Number three, when we draw the sword, we play right into the enemy's hands. Now, up until this point, everything that Peter has done basically has been a fleshly reaction rather than a spiritual response, and that came easy for him. Would you just be honest? It comes easy for you too, and it comes easy for me. It's a lot easier to re re react in the flesh than it is to respond. Reacting takes no thought process uh, at all, and responding is intentional. If you would go back to Matthew chapter number 16. In fact, jump back there real quick. Matthew 16. Jump back a few, few chapters. Matthew 16. Look at verse 22. Jesus is telling them he's going to die. And then verse, verse 22, then Peter took him. That's a powerful word. It means he got a hold of him and moved him. Okay. Then Peter took him, he drew him aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You know what Jesus did? He turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, and thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus isn't calling Peter Satan here. What he's doing is he's telling Peter, that, that his fleshly reaction is playing right into Satan's hands. This is what Satan would have you do, Peter. I'm going to the cross. You're trying to keep me from the cross. That's Satan's plan. This is God's plan. That's exactly... Peter was being duped. And though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down, pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. We, we don't fight flesh with flesh. We don't do battle with fleshly weapons. Put your sword up. Put your sword up. Stop, stop filleting people with your words. Don't allow anger to make you reactionary. That's not what God wants. Peter's fleshly. 
Well, pre preacher, how do you know that? Well, okay. So let's take, our, let's, let's take our text. Let's take Matthew 26. What does he do? Pulls a sword, gashes the side of a guy's head in. Why? Loyalty. Do you know what's going to happen in just a, few, just a little bit? You know what's going to happen in a few hours? He's going to deny Jesus three times. And, and, and in the end, he's going to curse. He's going to curse and deny him. Peter's not using the flesh. Peter's not reacting and uh, responding in the spirit now. He, he just, he's reacting in the flesh. He's reacting. Listen to me. There's a very thin line sometimes. Very thin line in what we do. And the important thing is that we do it under the power of God. Not, not, look, you can do good in the flesh, and there's a thin line between doing bad in the flesh. When you're used to allowing your flesh to dominate your decisions, you're just one small step from doing bad in the flesh. That's why people that, that may have good positions, but they live carnal lives, it winds up, it winds up spiraling down into very carnal lifestyle and carnal decisions. So, so we, have to, we have to walk in the Spirit. This I say then, Galatians 5, 16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be led by the Spirit, not your flesh. It was not, listen to me, it was not the Spirit of God that caused Peter to draw a sword. It was Peter's fleshly anger and the fact that he was oblivious to what he was doing. He was playing into Satan's hands and had no idea. Number four, when we draw the sword, we underestimate God's power and overestimate our own. So he, Peter had already announced his plans, okay? What was his plan? That ain't happening. Not going to happen. I'm not going to deny you. And I'm gonna this. this shall not be unto you, Lord. Uh, listen to me. It's not going to happen. I just want you to know, listen, he rebuked him. He took him aside and said, come here, I want to talk with you. Can you imagine that? Come here, I want to talk with you. He pulls him aside and said, now this is not happening. I don't know what your plans are, but that this will not happen. This shall not be unto you. It's not going to happen. So he already had announced his own plans to take control. Now, here's the insult. Are you ready? You ready for this? Here's, here's, the, here's the bigger insult. Here's the bigger insult. The bigger insult is that Jesus is right there. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus. And Peter's saying, that ain't happening. And he pulls his sword. What are you doing? Do you know who's with you? Peter had seen him turn water into wine, cleanse the lepers, set the demoniac free, walk on water, calm the storm, set paralyzed men on their feet, heal the blind, feed the multitudes, raise the dead. And yet he feels the need to step in and take matters into his own hands. What have you seen God do in your life? What are the miracles that God has done in your life? And why do we? feel the need to grab the sword and take over the situation. I think Peter was a tad bit amped up on arrogance. But before we tar and feather Peter, we need to take a long look at ourselves and realize that sometimes we forget that Jesus is right here. 
He's with us. He promised that. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So I don't care what you're in. I don't care what your trouble is. I don't care what your heartache is. I don't care what you're going on now. I don't care how surrounded you feel in the darkened garden and how you feel like every single thing there is against you. Don't draw your sword. He's there. Trust Him. He'll deal with it and He'll handle it. And so Jesus reminds Peter that at no point and in no predicament is his power ever diminished. Look in verse 53 of Matthew 26. Just look at this for a moment. He looks at Peter, and he says to Peter, what are you thinking? Thinkest thou not that I can now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Sometimes, sometimes when we read our Bible, this is what we say. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, thinkest thou not that I can pray to my Father, and that he gives me... Twelve legions of angels. There's no emotion. No, no. Get, get Peter, what, what are you thinking? Peter, thinkest thou not that I can now pray to my Father and my Father will give me twelve legions of angels? I love the song. He could have called 10,000 angels, but it's not biblical. Twelve legions of angels is 72,000. At that moment, 72,000 angels leaned over the parapets of heaven with flaming swords ready to come down and obliterate that peon group that had gathered in the, in the garden. But listen to me, Jesus said, I could call and my Father would send. But then what would happen to the Scripture? It must be fulfilled. Aren't you glad He didn't call the 12 legions of angels? Aren't you glad that day in that garden where your and my salvation depended totally upon his willingness to go to the cross, aren't you glad he said, put your sword up, Peter. Put your sword up. Put your sword up and get to the place in your life to where you realize I'm in charge. Number five, and last of all, when we draw the sword, we reveal our lack of trust in the Word of God. Now what had happened, and you, you can catch this throughout the Gospels, he had told them time and time again, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I've got to die. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. But it never sank in, especially Peter, especially rebuking, correcting Peter. I think Peter's thinking, well, who can't come up with a better plan than that? I, I've, got a, I've got a plan, here's my plan, take over, take over the world right now. Let's just... Let's run the Romans off. Let's reclaim our land. Let's set up your kingdom now. Remember the disciples kept going to him? Even after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, they went to Jesus and said, will you at this time now set up your kingdom? They couldn't, they couldn't let go of the idea, this is a great plan. Don't leave us here. Get the Romans out. Set up your kingdom. Peter's problem was a, a lack of trust. And by the way, he struggled without the, out the Bible. Later, in, later in, in, in John chapter 20, he's going to say the same words that he said in Luke chapter 5. Remember when Jesus called Peter and, 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 and Jesus said to Peter, remember here's Jesus now, Jesus said to Peter, let your net down on the other side of the ship. What did Peter say to him? Um, you know, I think I need to tell you we fished all night and caught nothing. And then you feel the reluctance. Um, okay, nevertheless at thy word... We'll let down the net. John 21, 
after the resurrection, he says the same thing. Nevertheless, and, and so there's a reluctance. He's a slow learner. Jesus had told him, I'm going to have to die that men might live. But Peter not only denied that plan and rebuked Christ, but now he draws his sword in an attempt to, uh, to, to take matters into his own, own hands and prevent it from happening. Go to chapter 26 of Matthew. Stay there. Look with me in verse 52. Watch this. Watch this. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall what? Perish with the sword. You know what Jesus is saying to him? Once you start depending on the sword, it's hard to get away from it. Once you pull the sword, once that's your answer, listen, once that's your answer, it's hard to ever put the sword back in the sheath. I don't know. People that swing swords all the time, they just leave a trail of people oozing blood behind them and they're oblivious. Sometimes in our own marriages we swing the sword so much we can't seem to find the sheath any longer. We're just lopping off heads. That's a pretty bad way to spend the rest of your life with somebody ducking all the time. That's a sad way to live. Here's Peter. He's, he's a sword swinger. Verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of Now watch verse 54. And how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? Jesus takes Peter back to the word and he said basically this, when, when you draw the sword, you're proclaiming that the promises of God are not trustworthy. You've got to step in because you don't think God can handle it. He that cometh to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe that God is who God said he is and that God does what God said he is. I've said that to you a million times. Say it again. You have to believe that God is who God said he is and that God keeps his promises. Peter didn't believe God kept the promises. So Peter said, I better get the sword. This is getting out of hand. And Jesus was there. What an insult. What an insult. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You, you know what came together in that garden? Good and evil. Righteousness and wickedness. God in human flesh and Satan. And you could have cut the spirit of that garden with a knife. But here's Penny Annie, small-minded, reactionary Peter, thinking, I can handle this with a sword. No, no. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Look at me. Listen to me. Your battle in your life, in your marriage, in your home, on your job, your battle, you can cut all the ears off you want to cut off. But that's not the enemy. What Peter didn't realize was the enemy wasn't Judas really or wasn't Malchus really. It was the power behind them because Judas had it put in his heart by Satan, the Bible said, to betray. So it's a far bigger enemy. Cutting an ear off ain't going to change the situation. 
You can spend the rest of your life swinging, and you know what it'll get you? Nowhere. You have to trust the Word of God, the promises of God. What I love about Peter is that he learned. He's a slow learner, but in his last book, the last letter he wrote, 2 Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter said, let me tell you something I've learned. I've learned to trust the promises of God. It's better, it's better than taking a swing. Just recognize Jesus is here. Jesus can handle this. Listen to me. Put the sword up. Listen to what Jesus said. Put the sword up. It'll catch up with you sooner or later if you spend your life swinging swords. Trust His Word, and He'll take care of you. Let's bow our heads, could we? It's bowed, eyes closed. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what battle you're in. I, I, I don't know what's happened in your life and, and what it is that is overwhelming you. But you're, you're, you feel alone in the garden and your life is raged with, with um, adrenaline and drama and you're just thinking, I better, I better pull the sword. I better take this thing over. I better control my own destiny. I better handle matters. Friend, listen to me. Pray. Jesus is right there. Pray. He can change things. Jesus can do what you can do, and no innocent people will be injured. Trust Him. Trust His Word. Don't react in the flesh. Respond by the Spirit. Give your situation to the Lord. Would you do that?